start by asking a question and give you the opportunity just to talk amongst yourselves for just a minute here. And it has to do with the Ten Commandments. Just a fun little question to ponder. What's the purpose of the Ten Commandments? And are they still relevant for today? So go ahead, just amongst yourself, amongst a neighbor turn. There's no wrong answers. You know, there's, there's no quiz. If you're new with us, there's <laughs> no one's taking notes and grading you. This is just, you know, think about it a little bit. What comes to the top of your head? What's the purpose of the Ten Commandments? Are they still relevant for today? Ready, set, go. Take a minute. Go for it. All right. Thank you for playing. So we're going to dig into the Ten Commandments for the next few weeks. And part of it stirs up in me because rules and laws, commands, are not very popular, right? I mean, you look at the broader culture, there is a very strong current that says, I do not want to hear that there is right and wrong. I do not want to accept an idea that there is a source outside of me that can tell me what to do or can set forth laws and commands and the way of life. We live in a culture that's increasingly kind of self-centered, if you will, in the sense that saying, I'm the center of what is right and wrong. I get to choose. I get to decide. It's all about me and my perspective and my truth. You hear that phrase, ad nauseum. It's my truth. It's my truth. What's your truth? Well, what if there's a the truth? (laughs) And so that's, I mean, even that simple little phrase, my truth versus the truth, is that such a thing? And what happens if they collide? And so there's, you know, all over the place right now, and that's to simplify, you know, a 50-year movement of postmodern philosophy being infiltrated into every institution of our society. We don't need to go into all that right now. All that we want to focus on today is just the simple fact that it's not popular to submit to God. There is, in fact, a sense that if there's any source of truth outside of me, any objective truth, it's bondage. And I need to be a a free person. I need to liberate myself from anyone else's perspective, including God's, and I'm just going to do me and find my truth. And that's that's not a new idea. Psalm 2 kind of poetically describes it. When David says this, why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. So this speaks to a you know, couple thousand year old reality of the influencers of the time seeing God's way and saying, no, those are shackles. That's bondage. Let's let's liberate ourselves from God's way and God's truth. True freedom will be when we have overcome God, overcome an outside source of truth and get to live in the freedom of deciding whatever we want for ourselves. And so that's the Psalm 2 perspective of kings and rulers, and it's a very common perspective today. If we're not careful, it's, it's just the air we breathe and the water we will drink in. 
But I want to take us quickly back into a biblical worldview and just kind of ask some of those questions that, is it possible that most of the problems facing the world today, facing our country today, facing families today, is because we've lost anchor points of truth? We've lost morality and righteousness. Is it possible that God's laws are actually for our good to provide help and direction and answers facing the problems in our own life, in our family, and in the world? And is it actually possible that God is actually good and just and wants what's best for him and following his laws are actually to the delight of our soul? Of course, that's the, now we're getting into the biblical worldview. But it gets challenging to, to navigate those waters. And so I want to spend some time here in the next few weeks on the Ten Commandments that really give us in a window into what life with God is all about. They, in a sense, represent the law of the Old Testament. But what doesn't change about them is that they root us in a biblical worldview of what life's all about and really that living a blessed life that honors God can be found right there in those Ten Commandments and that they are not bondage, they are freedom. They do not hold us back. They actually bring the soul into the full abundance of delight that we are created for in relationship with God. So we're going to dive into these. I trust that uh, even if we know them well, that by the Spirit of God working among us, they can strengthen us. The, the digging into God's Word here can help deepen our delight in God's laws. God's ways, God's commands, and furthermore, equip us with tools to engage the world around us. Because when you look at almost every kind of hot-button moral and political and family issue today, the Ten Commandments actually does a really good job of giving us direction when you boil it all down. And so we're going to try to get into some of those spicy things, if you will, and see what God has for us and see the good news that God has for the world that he so loves. So one important aspect as we get started is when we look at the Ten Commandments right away, there's an important posture of our hearts towards the commandments that is just as important as the commandments themselves or following the commandments. The posture of our heart, or in other words, the, the purpose of them to approach that properly, understanding what's God's intention here. What is God's purpose in giving these commandments? That is just as important as the commandments themselves. So we're going to kind of intro a little bit this morning and ask that question, what's the purpose of the Ten Commandments? So Deuteronomy is where the commandments were kind of repeated for the second time. They were first introduced in the book of Exodus. And I want to use Deuteronomy because they give a little bit more perspective answering that question of now they've had a little bit of time to reflect, to live with the commandments, and there's a little bit more insight, if you will, for all of us into what is the purpose of God giving his people these commandments. So let's pick it up at Deuteronomy 4, and we'll just read verses 6 to 9, and then we'll jump into 5 where the commandments are at. But I want us to have in mind here, it's right there in the lift notes, that question, what is the purpose 
of God giving the Ten Commandments. So we're going we're gonna to dig in here for a bit. There's going to be kind of a lot of scripture read. And part of that's important. I'm not apologizing in any way. I'm, I'm getting us prepared. And part of that is the, the reality that in order to answer the question well of what's the purpose of the Ten Commandments, we actually need to read the Bible. <laughs> and we need to dig in and see God's perspective. And part of the problem comes in our culture when it's read, the commandments are seen from the exact opposite in their purpose. And you just take a specific command and it's, you know, removed out of context and the interpretation of why it exists is completely misunderstood and now you're down a bad road. And so I want to take a little time here and dig into this, this section in Deuteronomy where it shares more of God's heart of what's the purpose and, and it really begins to make sense and then it all flows beautifully. So in Deuteronomy chapter 4, God says this. Chapter 4, verses 6 to 9. And again, this, this even itself is a summary. I mean, in some ways, it's kind of what the book of Deuteronomy is about. So welcome you to read it with that question in mind of what's the purpose of God's commandments and laws. And you can see the nuggets in there. All right, chapter 4, verse 6. Keep them and do them. So them, of course, is referring to the Ten Commandments and the law, for that matter, in general. Keep them and do them. For that will be your wisdom, your wisdom, and your understanding in the sight of the nations, who, when they hear all these statutes, will, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? So, so right there, there's two things in there that God shows the purpose of them. And one is surely, listen, this great nation is a wise and understanding people, meaning these laws are meant to be a obvious blessing in that as you live them out, your life will demonstrate and reflect wisdom to other people to the point where people will look at you if you're actually living them out and be like, wow. That is a blessed, wise life. So right off the bat, in contrast to popular opinion or perspective, the commandments are not just the do's and don'ts because you've got an angry God who's trying to hold you back. They're trying, they are meant to be your wisdom to the point that other people look at you and be like, man, I need some of that in my life. Their life is better than mine. It's blessed. They're wise. They've got solutions to life that I don't have. They're living a blessed life. You see it right in there? And then the second one is, and people will say, what great nation is there that has a God so near to him? God, or a, a God so near to it. A God so near to them. So in other words, as you live them out, what your life is going to be demonstrating to others is that God is near you. God is with you. There's going to be a power and a presence and an abundance and a prosperity, a blessing coming out of you that other people are going to say, God's in their life. <laughs> right away, again, that's not what typically people describe the commandments about. It's about, oh, you're bad, you're unholy, God's holy, just get your stuff together, all right? Because God's mad and he's keeping tabs. Right here, these, these are two beautiful descriptions 
It's meant to be a blessing. It's meant to so change your life that when other people look at your life, they say, God is near that person. So what is God trying to do for you, with you? Then he goes on to say in verse 9, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Lest you forget what your eyes have seen. So this is massive. God gives the commands, all of them, but the Ten Commandments are kind of that summary, so that we don't forget what our eyes have already seen. In other words, the commands are the response to what God has already done. God has already chosen them. God has already saved them from slavery. God has already redeemed them from the pit. God has called them his own. God, ha God has loved them. God has chosen them. God has given them promises beyond their wildest dreams. All of that has already happened by God's own initiative, by God's choice, not theirs. And now God is saying, now I'm giving you some ways of life, statutes, commands, so that you don't forget what I've already done. In other words, these are the response to my love. Hold on to that thought. We'll get, get there in a moment. Now in verse, or excuse me, chapter 5, to the actual commands. A little bit of context before and after, once again, show the purpose. So we'll pick it up. Chapter 5, the entire chapter is where the commands are, the Ten Commandments are specifically and famously given or repeated. But there's some beautiful, important context before and after. So I'm going to focus on those. Chapter 5, verse 1. Moses summoned all Israel and he said, Hear, Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb or Sinai, the Mount, Mount Sinai. Famously, you know, Moses goes up the mountain, Mount Sinai. So that's a kind of a synonym for Sinai. The Lord our God made a covenant. That's a relationship if you're not familiar. The Lord our God made a relationship with us at Mount Sinai. It was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us with all of us who are alive and here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountains at the time where I stood between the Lord and you to declare to you the word of the Lord because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up to the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And here they go. So therefore... First commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. And he goes on to the next 10, which we're going to get into specifically a first couple next week. That's the context leading up to it. And then, he get, then Moses repeats God sharing the 10. And then afterwards, right? what does it say? Let's pick it up in verse 22. These are the commandments the Lord proclaimed in a loud voice to your whole assembly there on the mountain from out of the fire the cloud and the deep darkness, and he added nothing more. 
Then he wrote them on two stone tablets and gave them to me. When you heard the voice out of the darkness while the mountain was ablaze with fire, all the leaders of your tribes and your elders came to me and you said, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his majesty and we have heard his voice from the fire. And today we have seen that a person can live even if God speaks with them. But now why should we die? This great fire will consume us. So they're still scared even though they've seen what they're scared of isn't true. So this great fire will consume us and we will die if we hear the voice of the Lord out of any, uh, the Lord our God any longer. What mortal has ever heard the voice of the living God speaking out of fire as we have and survived? Well, you all just did, but they're still scared. Anyways, <laughs> go near. So they're saying, so you, Moses, go near and listen to all that the Lord our God says and tell us whatever the Lord our God tells you and we will listen and obey. That's the key. We will listen and obey. The Lord heard you when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard what these people has said to you and everything they said was good. And this is God's talking. And oh, that their hearts would be inclined to revere me, to fear me, to keep all my commands always so that it might go well with them and their children forever. So, this gets a little complicated. It gets a little boring if you're not completely locked in. But what is happening here is of life-changing importance about who God is and the reason why God originally gave the Ten Commandments and the reason why God continues to this day to give us all sorts of commandments that are ways of life. The commandments are our response to what God has already done. The Ten Commandments give us a window here into what life with God is all about. And the people of Israel are the example. God graciously initiates relationship. Those words are very carefully chosen. Graciously initiates relationship. That covenant that you hear of over and over, that's just relationship. God graciously initiates, meaning a relationship with God is initiated by him. It's his idea. And from the very beginning and always, it's based in grace. And the commandments are just the response they are how we respond with trust and obedience in order to walk with him and live in intimacy with him. Do you hear it in there? As he said in, in verse 1 of, of chapter 5, Hear Israel, these are the decrees and laws I'm giving your hearing today. The Lord our God made a covenant with us. Okay, so he's backing up saying, remember what God has done. The Lord our God initiated relationship with us at Sinai. And then he goes on to say, it was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant. So even though the promises of God go way back into the Garden of Eden and are renewed with Abraham, their direct heir, they're saying that God is continuing to initiate relationship with us. It's fresh, it's real. He's building on that relationship. And the first thing that God says 
right before the, the, the command itself, getting into the 10, is remember, I am the Lord you God, your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I spoke to you in the wilderness. I reinitiated a relationship with you. Therefore, and then the commandments. You see what's happening? This is God doing what he's always done and will always do, which is he is the author of relationship with us. He initiates relationship with us, and it's based on grace the whole time. It's his idea. And that's so big from the very beginning. The commandments are a response to what he's already done. He's already saved them. He's already chosen them. He's already called them. He's already redeemed them. He's already promised them a hope and a future. And now he gives them the healthy ways of saying, this is how you continue to walk with me. You see it in there? Right after the Ten Commandments were given, what, what, is, what is the response of the people? What do they say? They say, we will listen and obey. So they're getting it. Okay, God's already done all this stuff. Now we, we will listen and obey. And what's God's response? Oh, that their hearts, this is verse 29. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to honor me, to fear me. That's that word. It's, it's this reverence of God has done all this stuff, so I want to put God first. I want to keep God first. And God's heart is, oh, that they would be inclined to keep my commandments always. Why? So that it might go well with them. It's always about God's grace-based covenant and then the people's response. So to help understand this picture a little bit, let's just contrast it. In other words, the Ten Commandments are absolutely not about you checking the box and doing enough good things to earn a relationship with God. They are never about that. They've never been about that. If for one moment we think so, we clearly misunderstand the context in which they're given, the purpose for which they're given. They're never so that you can be a religious person that's good enough to get God's attention or earn God's love or be holy enough. The Ten Commandments are the response to the gracious, incredible work that God has already done. So you fast forward it now to your life where these Ten Commandments are still 100% relevant which one of them should we dismiss? None of them. They all represent the character of God perfectly, beautifully, and how we can live in intimacy with him. So these and then everything we see in the New Testament, and there are plenty of statutes and laws and commands of God saying, this is how you stay close to me. I've already saved you. I already love you. And we get into the great theology of Ephesians 1, which is so helpful, which says, you know, it was from eternity past that I loved you. It's that agape love, that you, that you were predestined in my love, in my agape love, meaning agape love is that it's a love that flows. It just flows. It just exists, and it's not based on you creating it. 
It's a fountain that overflows. It's undeserved goodness. That's literally the definition of grace. You didn't earn it from eternity past. It's just the nature and character of God. He loves. He is love. And that love created a world. That love created a people to be brought into his family. It's the same exact message from the beginning to the end of the Bible. So anytime we see a law or a statute or a command, it's always having nothing to do with us being good enough to get God to love us or create a relationship with him. It's always a response to preserve and protect and deepen the relationship that God's already created. It's a response to what God has already done. I mean, every single healthy relationship in your life has boundaries, right? That, come, that comes from God. You have no healthy relationship that doesn't have boundaries, that doesn't say, okay, we're in relationship. Marriage is a great example that represents the covenant of God. So there is this covenant commitment into relationship, but you are kidding yourself and you will have an awful marriage if you just say, yeah, but whatever you want to do, there's no right, there's no wrong, there's no morality, there's no righteousness. You do you, I do me. Hello, I'm not married. I mean, there is no healthy relationship that doesn't have inherent in it the boundaries of what is good and what is not good. Nowhere. And so this is, I mean, it's a, directly a reflection of God. It's, that's what the Ten Commandments are about. And so when it comes to the specific do's and don'ts, the biblical picture that is meant to transform our life from the rebellion of Psalm 2 to the beautiful, hungry submission of Psalm 1, which we'll look at in a moment, is that we would get to a place by seeing all the goodness of God in our life, what he's already done, and for us, there's a really big one. It's called Jesus on the cross. You don't think God's done anything for you for, you know, what has God done for me? Well, there's a good answer to that. <laughs> and, and, and there's a lot of good answers to that, but there's a really big one. For God so loved the world, he sent his son, that whoever would believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Why? Because his son went through hell for you. There's a big one that God's already done. It's not because you earned it. It's not because you had done enough good stuff to get his attention. It's because it's the nature of God to give sacrificially in love for you and for me. And that's how it all starts. And so given that grace-based relationship that God has initiated with all of us, anytime we see a law or a command or a statute or a do this or a don't do this, let our hearts be transformed to believe quite simply one thing. It's because God wants and knows what's best for us. Like that perfect heavenly parent that Jesus says God is. It's expressed beautifully in the book of Deuteronomy. Let's go back there again one more time. As God's laid out all these commandments and laws and statutes, it's not meant to be a burden. God expresses it this way. Deuteronomy 30, 15 to 20. To sum up all of this, he says, so see, I set before you life and prosperity, death and destruction. 
I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands, decrees and laws, so that you will live and increase. That's be prosperous. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your hearts turn away and you are not obedient, and if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you today that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land. You're crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call heaven and earth as a witness to you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him for the Lord is your life. And he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's good news. That is the reality of life. God says, I set before you. So he says, here's all what I have done. Here's how to walk closely with me. Or you can choose to live in rebellion with me. Go, as God says at times, you can go whoring after other gods. You can see how awesome and powerful they are. Actually, you know what? It's going to be your own destruction. And that's true. And for some people in the world, that's just really hard to accept. They didn't get to decide that. They didn't get to be God. They didn't get to create the world. <laughs> yeah, okay, wrestle through that. You're not God. <laughs> like, they, it, 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 yeah, it's humbling. It's humbling be of the reality that to live with God, to choose God, is a beautiful, blessed, abundant life, a prosperous life, God says, and to reject God and say, I don't need God and I can be my own God and I can do it on my own strength, that, that will lead to a life of destruction. That's true. And some people just get really offended that they didn't get to create the scenario. But that's what, G, that's what God is, is saying here. And if you look back into God's heart, is this a bad gig? <laughs> Does God want to hold us back? Jesus said it like this. Matthew 17, 13 and, 14, 7, 13 and 14. Wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. Small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. Only a few find it. That's the same exact reiteration of Deuteronomy 3 where he says, hey, I set before you two paths. There are two paths in life. There's not 20 or 50. There's two. Life and death. You follow me and it's life. It's life abundant, it's life prosperous, it's life to the fullest. You try to live outside of me, and I'm sorry, it's death. So the world says God's laws are bondage. But the true believer, the true believer knows that God's laws are the abundant life. Psalm 1, in contrast to Psalm 2, says it like this. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or seat in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. That word right there changed my life. God's perspective, a true believer's perspective on what the law is supposed to be about. I mean, you just think about this. Think about laws. Think about commands. Think about God telling you, do this and don't do that. Commands, statutes, rules. Does the word delight come to mind? When you think about rules and regulations and commands, what emotions stir up? Let me tell you something. I want to be this guy. 
I want to be the guy who says, I know the heart of God so well that when I think about the commands, I delight in them. Because I know they are the abundant life. In them are the abundant life. Listen to what he goes on to say. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and meditates on them day and night. I love the law of the Lord. I love the commands. I love God's word. I love his ways. That's what this person's saying. Then verse 3, that person is like a tree planted by springs of water. Listen to this. Do you want this to be your life? Which yields fruit in every season, whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. That's like, whoa, come on. That's the abundant life. This is, this is someone's testimony saying, blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord Anything they do prospers. That's because God's heart is to bless you, to prosper you. He wants you to live in the abundant life. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to be easy because what does it say? Yields fruit in every season and its leaves do not wither. So this isn't a promise that there aren't going to be the seasons that are hot or dry or cold or harsh. It's that through delighting in God, through delighting in God's laws, you have an inner strength where you are producing good fruit no matter the outside circumstances. As you follow and obey God's laws. So I, I want to get to that place where this Psalm 139 can be my heart. So I'm going to jump forward here to that last Psalm 119, and then I want to close with a quick testimony. Psalm 119 says this, 35 to 40. Lead me in the path of your commandments. This, can you pray this as a prayer? Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in them. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. Give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteous ways, give me life. It's just that beautiful question of can we get to the place to where obedience to God is a delight? I want to give one quick testimony that I, I found very encouraging and inspiring recently. Some good news on the headlines. So we just had the Olympics, and there was a, a, a number of actually very encouraging, bright, shining stars in the midst of it. One of them was a young lady named Sid, Sydney McLaughlin. She's 21 years old this year. She's she happened to set the world record this year in the Olympics in the 400-meter hurdles, got the gold, was the first woman in history to run it in under 52 seconds. But what I appreciated was some of the backstory and then, wow, her testimony. So fast forward or back up, excuse me, like four or five years ago in 2016 games in Rio, she just turned 17. She's a, a, an Olympic qualifier. She's able to go to Rio and and, and try to get into the finals. I don't know how it all works. But the bottom line is she didn't make it. She didn't run fast enough in the, in the trials to be able to run for the gold. So she's out. She lost, if you will. And then a few years later, she qualifies. Not only does she qualify, but in the qualifying, she broke the, the world record. And she, so she's interviewed, obviously, as not only a qualifier, but a world record holder now, even before the Olympics started. And what does she say? 
Quote, all glory to God. McLaughlin told NBC, which I'm sure they loved. <laughs> Honestly, this, this is her. Honestly, this season, this season, just working with my new coach and my new support system, it's truly just faith and trusting the process. I couldn't ask for anything more. And truly, it is all a gift from God. And I think the biggest difference this year is my faith, trusting God and trusting that process and knowing he's in control of everything. As long as I put the hard work in, he's going to carry me through. And I really cannot do anything more but give the glory to him at this point. And then she told the Guardian newspaper, a lot of my life prior to, it sounds like she had like a conversion experience to Jesus sometime in between the 2016 and 2020 games. And, and I didn't do a ton of research on all of that, but you hear it in there. A lot of my life was trying to prove something, which is an endless cycle that will never fulfill you. My gifts are not to glorify myself. When I stand on the podium, I give glory to God. I no longer run for self-recognition, but to reflect his perfect will that is already set in stone. I don't deserve anything, but by grace, through faith, Jesus has given me everything. Woo! Records come and go. The glory of God is eternal. <laughs> it's like, that is one of the best sermons I have heard in a long time. And that was pre-Olympics. And now after winning the gold in the Olympics, she posted on her Instagram. This is her first post after winning the gold medal in the 400-meter hurdles, breaking her own world record again, and says this. Let me start off by saying what an honor it is to be able to represent not only my country, that's incredible to hear, but also the kingdom of God. What I, here we go, what I have in Christ is far greater than what I have or don't have in life. I pray my journey may be a clear depiction of submission and obedience to God. How many times have you heard those words? <laughs> submission and obedience to God. Even when it doesn't make sense and even when it doesn't seem possible, he will make a way out of no way. We sang that song today. Not for my own gratification, but for his glory. I have never seen God fail in my life, in anyone's life for that matter. Just because I may not win every race or receive every one of my heart's desires does not mean God has failed. His will is, all caps, perfect. And he has prepared for me a moment such as this that I may use the gifts he has given me to point all the attention back to him. <laughs> Come on. And then she closes with a little heart, an American flag, two-time Olympian, Olympic champion, world record holder. Thank you, God. Little prayer thing. Wow. Can, is this a woman in bondage because of God's harsh laws? Or is this a woman who has tasted and seen that the Lord is good? She is set free to the point where you can see the strength saying, I, which you saw in contrast to some other Olympians saying, I do not need to win to define my value and identity. I've already won. 
Like, it's unbelievable. And, but to further just use those very words of my life is about submission and obedience to God. And by the way, in that I am thriving. It's the Psalm 139. It's can we get to the place? Can we encounter God in a way? Can we see all that he's already done for us? All the goodness that's already in our life. All the love that he's already poured out on the cross. The invitation of the Holy Spirit. The invitation to be his child. He has already done wildly beyond what we could even ask or imagine. And our, our response is simply to trust him. Can we get to that point where we say, I delight in obedience. Give me all of your laws. Give me all of your commands. Show me how I can walk close to you because I delight to obey you because you are the abundant life. Let's pray. encourage you right now. Let's just take a quiet moment between you and God. And let's just not lose, lose this moment. What is God stirring up in your heart? What is he saying to you? And how can you say yes? And if you need to say, God, transform my heart, renew my mind, get rid of some lies. Is there a lie I'm believing about you, God? Help me get rid of it. Help me, help me delight to obey you, God. Just between you and God in a very authentic moment, you're not going to have to share it with anybody necessarily. You're not going to talk about it with your neighbor in the most real and personal place in your heart. What's stirring up right now? I'm going to trust that's the Holy Spirit being very personal with you. So Holy Spirit, would you meet us right now in prayer? Dance like David